We're finishing out 1 Peter. I know it seems like it's been a long time in it, and you, you may miss it, but you can always go back and read it anytime. It's not limited to these weeks as we've walked through that. So we are, we are finishing this out. And as we go through, I think we'll see some review just as we look at these final verses as, as Peter closes the letter, but there is a review in it. And we see he continues to speak about hope in the midst of suffering and trials, and he gives them a continued encouragement of how they're to walk. And it plays in, it, it follows all the things that he's been talking about. And these, really this chapter, this whole chapter, but these last few verses are ones that have been just anchors in my soul and heart um, for many years that the Lord has used in my life. So I'm excited to be able to, just to be able to walk through these and us to be encouraged together in these. And as we do, we see these eternal realities, these unseen realities, but things that are so important as we walk through this life and as we walk to follow. We're reminded as we walk through this that we're not called to make make this life here, make this heaven here now, but we look to eternity. And we look to our God as the God of all grace and the eternity to come as we walk through even difficulties and trials right now. Uh, and we think of the context of the church. Remember that we have this church in modern-day Turkey, a lot of Gentiles as well who have, who have trusted in Jesus. So they have turned from the ways and the vices and the gods of the world, and they've turned to Jesus, and they, they're maligned, they're, they're outsiders, and they're persecuted, and yet they're called to follow Christ. And last week, we ended in verse 5, and it really goes into verse 6. So let's read just that last part of verse 5 before we go on to verse 6. And it says, All of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So remember, he says, clothe, clothe yourself with humility. And we have to begin with that. And we're reminded that it's all of you, so he draws us all in. All of us are called to this humility from the pastor elders that he talked about in those first few verses to, to deacons, to Calvary kids, workers, to Calvary kids, all of us, to clothe, actively clothe ourselves with humility. And then this strong statement, remember the strong statement of God opposes the proud. Strong statement of, of how we are to look and to be those who, who die to self. And then there's this motivation, though, in humility. And it says, but, give, but he gives grace to the humble. And we need grace. And we talked about that last week as well, that when we humble ourselves, often we're called to walk through different, difficult things. Humility sometimes takes us just to a point where we receive criticism, and we don't defend ourselves. So we're called to, to humbly walk through that, sometimes forgiving and asking forgiveness from those who have deeply hurt us, and we are called to walk in humility and, and just asking for that forgiveness, even in hurt. Sometimes, again, humility, remember, it means risking uh, to love someone that might be difficult, and we need God's grace. And God's grace is sufficient in it. And then he continues in that. And that humility, that humility begins with our humility before our God, our creator. We see that in verse 6. So we'll read that. But we see we're called to humble ourselves before God. And how do we do that? We do that by casting our anxiety, casting our cares upon God. Verses 6 and 7. Humble yourself, therefore. Again, 1 Peter chapter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourself, therefore, under the hand of God, so that at the proper time... He may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. 
So again, humility comes as we humble ourselves before our God, our faithful creator that Peter talks about at the end of chapter 4. And we humble ourselves before him, and we do that as a God who, we'll see in this passage, that he's a God who's both mighty, and he's one who's caring. He's both full of strength and full of love, and there's a motivation to humble ourselves before him. And we humble ourselves under that mighty hand of God, that mighty hand, that strong hand, that protective hand, that hand of rescue, the one that brings salvation and, and exaltation. We're called to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And this is a, a term, this mighty hand of God, that throughout the Old Testament, it's often used again and again by the authors in the Old Testament of the mighty hand of God that rescued his people from Egypt. He rescued them out by his mighty hand. We see that throughout Deuteronomy, like Deuteronomy 4, 35, 5, 15, 6, 21, 7, 8, 9. That keeps going on. So there's a bunch of them. If you're trying to write those down, you can ask me later. Daniel 9, 15, all these that talk about the mighty hand of God rescuing. And here's this call to humble ourselves before him. And, and might is something that, sometimes it could be something that's feared if we're on the wrong side of it, but... If we're on the right side of the mighty hand of God, it's a place of rescue, a place of safety, a place of protection. I think of the Psalms where the psalmist talk about God as a rock and a mighty fortress and a refuge. And I just love this picture of the mighty hand of God above us, protecting us. And it's a picture that I think I've had in my mind, just in my walk with the Lord from early on. And especially there was a time when I was out of college and went and served in Ecuador for a couple of years. And when I, I headed off there, I knew I was just going to be pretty alone and just leaving everything I knew behind. And I was fearful. And during that time, as I was going through my training and my preparation, uh, my supervisor, he sent me some pictures from the apartment that I would be at and what, where I'd be living. And I, I saw those pictures and I was studying. I was looking at this verse and I, I could just picture myself just in Ecuador, as I was going through my training, just on my face before the Lord, his mighty hand above me, um, protecting and just needing to cast those cares. And I, so throughout my, my walk with the Lord, I've had this picture, just that humility before the Lord, just laying myself flat. And there were time and time again, sure enough, when I was in Ecuador and since then, of just being even just on my face before the Lord, humbling myself. But it's under that mighty hand of our God who protects and exalts and lifts us up and rescues us. So we're called to humble ourselves, humble ourselves before God under his mighty hand. And if we don't, if we wrestle, if we struggle with that, a lot of times we're, we're trying to stand in our own strength, in our own effort, in our own might. We want, we want to be our, the mighty one. So we have trouble sometimes humbling ourselves, and it's this balance, are, are the opposite of pride. There's, we have this pride and this humility, and we're called to not be those who, who walk in pride saying, I've got this, I've got this, but I don't have this. I need the mighty hand of God, and we humble ourselves before that mighty hand of our God. But though, as we think about this, we think about laying ourselves low, ultimately, um, our destination isn't, isn't being laid low. In our humility, the destination, although that's part of the journey, but our destination we see is that God is the one who exalts us. He rescues us. He restores us. And he does it in, in due time. 
uh, in the proper time, in his timing. So that means it's not, it's not in our timing. Um, a lot, often, it's a lot longer than we ever anticipate. But we know at the proper time, even that if he tarries to, to bring that rescue until we see Jesus face to face, it will happen. And we will be rescued and he will bring restoration. It's like that theme we've seen in First Peter of, of suffering and glory. Suffering and glory. Even Jesus, he said, again, he said, if those who, who humble themselves, what, they'll be exalted. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled. He says that in Matthew 23, 12 and Luke 14, 11 and 18, 14. Again, though, it's in his due time, in his proper time, in, in his timing. Sometimes that, again, is longer than we anticipate, but we're promised that. We see it in other places. I think of Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, that says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So sometimes we look to that coming age of the fulfillment of all these things. And then I think of 1 Peter, in that very first chapter, verses 3 through 5, that we've gone back to again and again, where he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. So even though it may be a long journey to be there, we can be reminded that we have a sure inheritance, a sure salvation in Christ. If we've earned and rested and trusted in Christ, we're reminded, we're reminded that our suffering is not the destination, but it's part of the journey that the Lord often takes us on. And then he says, well, verse 7, so cast your cares, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So how do we humble ourselves before God, before the mighty hand of God? One of the ways that Peter says is by, by casting our cares upon him. And again, I see that picture of the mighty hand of God who can clearly hold all of our cares and all of our anxieties. We're called to rest in him. I think Paul or Peter here is most likely looking back to Psalm 55, 22 that says, Cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. So casting our cares, it's saying, I can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can no longer hold uh, these anxieties and these cares, so I cast them upon you. I cast them upon the Lord. And sometimes the Lord, one of the, the avenues that the Lord uses to just even help us is we cast those cares upon Him. And one of the provisions He does give us is our brothers and sisters in Christ, our, our, those, our family here, as we love and walk through things with one another. We're able to, to do that uh, as we, we humbly bring ourselves before the Lord and before one another. But in contrast, um, pride. Pride keeps us holding on to those cares and those anxieties, saying, I can do it. I'm enough. 
uh, I don't need God or others. I, I got this. Even with bad grammar, we, sometimes we can go, I got this. The only God, and just even saying, the only God um, I need is me. Sometimes our pride, our pride does that. It comes in and do that. We need to be those who though, cast our cares upon the Lord and look to him to rescue because we are not the answer to our own, our own problems, even though sometimes that's what the answer of the world will. The answer is deep enough if you, in you if we can just bring it out. But no, we're called to what we saw at the end of chapter 4 to entrust ourselves, verse 19, entrust ourselves, our soul, um, to our faithful creator. So we're called to that. But sometimes we do think, I can hold this. I can do this. I've got this. It's a little bit like if you say you have problems with your car, you have issues with plumbing, you take your car in, and you ask the mechanic to fix it, but then you, you stand there and you kind of watch him, and you're kind of watching what he's doing. And you're like, well, I saw on YouTube the other day. I don't know that. Are you sure you should be? He's like, I'm the mechanic. Or doing it. Like, like that commercial with um, Progressive, uh, with Dr. Rick, when if you... You guys know uh, where if you, the, he's the guy that helps people who have just bought a home and they become their parents and is helping them not be their parents. And the, the guy who hires the plumber that comes into the house and he's giving him advice and, yeah, you're doing good. And, and Dr. Rick says, he said, no, you forget. You forget you're not his assistant. You hired him, you know. And, but sometimes we walk into that and we, we want to hold our cares, but we're called to cast our cares fully upon the Lord and rest in him. And often, uh, suffering is used by the Lord um, really to, to rescue us sometimes. To rescue us from our own pride and our own trying to carry things. And he, he carries, he calls us to carry and take those things we've been carrying and cast them upon him. So he brings us sometimes through those sorrows um, that he might rescue us and be the one that we know, like Christ, who says, Come to me, all you who are heavy and weary laden, and I will give you rest. He brings rescue. It's the quote I read a few weeks back from Johnny Erickson Tata. It's probably the third time I've read it, but just forgive me. I relearned, um, she says, I learned the timeless lesson of allowing my suffering to push me deeper into the arms of Jesus. I like to think of my suffering, my pain, as a sheepdog that keeps snapping at my heels to drive me down the road of Calvary. He rescues us and calls us to cast our cares upon him because God cares for us. He says he cares for us. He does care for us. And he wants us to know deeply that care that he has for us, even in the midst of, of really hard things. And called to entrust ourselves to our faithful creator. Remember, he's not a, one who is half-hearted or indifferent or Un, um, unpredictable or weak or angry, but one who is that faithful creator, a trusting, trustworthy, sovereign God that we're called to cast our cares upon because he cares for us. He's mighty and caring. And then verse 8 and 9, as we walk through this life, as we face difficulty and persecution, what else does Peter close as he ends this letter? He says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So we see here, he says, don't, don't make room for the, de- for the devil's attack. Be alert. 
resist, stand firm. So he begins his be sober-minded. And this isn't the first time, if you remember, this isn't the first time that Peter said be sober-minded. Back in chapter 1, verse 13, he talked about being sober-minded. And we learn there that he wasn't saying, saying don't get physically drunk. He wasn't even talking about that, but that discipline of thought in mind that Peter is calling us to, calling us to be sober-minded in our thoughts and our hopes and our faith and not pacified, really numbed, clouded, inebriated by things of this world. And it could be, it might be a thing of, of alcohol or, or marijuana or different things that we, we go to to numb us. Or really, one of the, the drugs of today is both through, I think, social media and endless streaming of in, entertainment can be used just to, to cloud our mind and our thoughts sometimes. Uh, that we, we scroll nonstop or we watch nonstop. But I, I'm not saying, I, 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 we, get, we have Hulu and Disney Plus, and we like to sit down and watch things, but it can be that, or you, we use it to numb our soul. Uh, a pastor I heard recently call it the devil's pacifier. I was like, that's kind of good. And also, it would just warn us that we, we marinate often, we marinate in mediocrity sometimes. And, but we need to be sober-minded, um, not filled with just temporal things of this world that really are faux hopes and faux faux escapes um, from this world. So be sober-minded, be self-controlled, be alert, be watchful. He is, I'm reminded, even this morning, I was reading in Mark 13, and Jesus, he talks about the, both destruction of, of the temple, but also the end times and things of his second coming. And what does he say? He says, be watchful, stay calm, be on guard, remain faithful. Think of Jesus' words to, also to Peter, James, and John in the garden, garden of Gethsemane, before he's arrested and crucified. He said, watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. So he's calling them to be sober-minded, be watchful, be alert. But why? Uh, because the devil, our enemy, our adversary is out there. He desires to destroy. He desires to hurt and devour those who are image bearers of, of the king. When I think of, of this picture of the devil as, as a lion, I often think of Daniel in the lion's den. And that story of Daniel defied the king's orders and, and prays faithfully to God when he was called to only, only pray that every, no, one, no one could pray to any other God, just to the king. And, and Daniel faithfully does, and he's thrown into the lion's den. And the Lord keeps the mouths of those lions shut. And I often, that's just something I pray Often, Lord, just shut the mouth of the enemy who would like to devour families or, or this time together as we gather or whatever it might be. And I just pray that because I know he seeks to devour and attack and loves to destroy. And in the context here of Peter, there's the, the persecution that's happening as, as they have embraced Christ. And now they're being maligned and mocked by those around them and when a professor from seminary, he said this, Dr. Schreiner said this, the devil's roar, the devil roars like a lion to introduce fear into the people of God. In other words, persecution is the roar by which he tries to intimidate believers in the hope that they will capitulate at the prospect of suffering. So here we see even just him using, that, Satan using the tactic of persecution to bring fear into the hearts of believers. But there's so many ways and tactics that the enemy uses to harm and to destroy and to attack. 
Um, and just one thing, this is a sort of a, a side note, but I think it's just good to be aware of some of the new tactics that the, the enemy is using just to destroy and to harm and to hurt. Um, recently, I began reading a book uh, by a, a lady named Abigail Schreier, and she's not a believer. Um, and she wrote this book called Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. And again, she's not a believer, and she doesn't even come close to having a biblical um, understanding of sexual ethic. But she is observing and seeing that there's this trend where um, in, the, in the past, or probably still today, but as wrestle with her body and just wrestle through through growing up and through the middle school and high school age, they've turned through to anorexia and bulimia and different things. And now the new trend is, is that of being, well, if you're feeling um, wrestling with yourself, well, maybe you're transgender. And they've been led down roads to do things to even disfigure their bodies, to, to follow that path. And um, in the book, she just points out that in 2012, before, it was unheard of um, for a girl in the middle school or high school age to, to even wrestle through that. It, it's just, you can't even find it very much documented. And now it's just exploded as, as a trend. But the, the devil loves that. He loves to destroy. But we need to be aware of those things. We need to, instead of marinating in mediocrity, we need to marinate in God's word. We need to renew our minds. We need to be taking our thought captive, which we see here. So we're called to resist the devil, verse 9. Resist the devil. Stand firm in your faith. Uh, in this passage, it really parallels another passage. Maybe you've already picked up on it if you've studied it before. But in James chapter 4, it's a similar passage that says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So a call to resist the devil. Resist the temptations and the worldly offerings and lies of this world. And to flee from them. To flee from them, to not allow ourselves to be consumed and, and defeated by them, but to instead to stand and resist the lies of the devil and to be those who rest in the grace of God. We're going to see later, he's the God of all grace. And we're called to be those who stand firm in our faith, that renew our mind, that go back and back again and again to the truth of God's word, again, again and again preaching the gospel to our hearts. I think of 2 Corinthians 10, 5, that says, we, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obedience to Christ. And there's all sorts of ways we just need to speak truth to ourselves. This is a quote from Martha, Mar, Mar, Martin, Martha, I don't know who that is. Martin Luther, I must Martha Luther, that would be interesting. So Martin Luther, um, this is what he said, and this is a great quote. This is just a way of, of resisting and standing against the lies of the devil. He said, when the devil throws our sins up to us and declares we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak thus. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean that I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means. For I know one who suffered and made a satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where he is, there I shall be also. That's how we need to speak. That's how we need to resist the devil. Amen? All right. Okay. That's good. We got it next week too. Okay. We're going to have to work on this. So then at the second half of verse, Nine, he says, knowing 
that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You see, brothers and sisters throughout the world, they're, they're experiencing the same thing. You're not alone. You're not alone in this. He's reminding them that, that you're not alone as you walk through these things. Jesus is with you, and your brothers and sisters in Christ are walking with you. I think of, as well, last week as Peter, he dressed the elders of the church, and he says, as a fellow elder, again, he's saying, you're not alone in this, and we need to hear those stories. That's why it's good to seek out stories of the persecuted church now. That's why for several months we, we prayed for different countries and the persecution that was going on there because we were reminded of that, reminded that suffering and opposition and persecution, it, it's not out of the norm for a follower of Jesus Christ, but it's more normal. It's not that things have gone off the rail, but it's something that we should expect uh, when we share the gospel and speak and stand on truth, um, especially in a world that says truth is just fluid. It's just kind of built on our personal opinion and feelings of the day. Um, of course, um, we'll be pushed to the side. But we need to be reminded we're not alone. And we also are reminded as we look at the saints and of, of old and even today that are faithfully pressing forward, we're reminded that the grace of God sustains us. He enables us to walk. And we can look at those stories. And as we've talked about several weeks back, we're, we're reminded that even during this time, no one would have thought, as Peter wrote during that time, no one would have thought that the, that the Roman government, that the empire of Rome would, would, would crumble, but Christianity and the church would press forward. But remember that that is true. So we don't have to fear, and we can, be, we can know with assurance that, that the church will not ultimately be crushed, nor the gospel, and we press forward. So we need to be reminded that God's grace is enough, that we can stand firm. Even just this past week, I was talking to an an older saint, not one that's part of Derby Hill, but another older saint, and she was just talking about during her time during COVID, um, she had, during that time, one of her her last living relatives uh, in her immediate family passed away, and she went through a time of deep, deep, dark depression, um, to the point she just talked about that her, her mind and her body just felt numb. Like, just, she wasn't even, she wasn't even there fully. But she said, even in the midst of that, that although it was very faint and very distant, she continued to hear the voice of God speaking. And she said, he was far away, but he slowly drew me back. We just need to hear those stories that we can press on and know we're not alone. And then, as we think of these closing comments by Peter, as we walk through difficulties and suffering, verse 10, 10 and 11, we see our God, the God of grace, the God, our God of all grace, will sustain us, and ultimately, he brings restoration. And initially, had he, ultimately, he wins the day. Verse 10 and 11. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal Glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. So he calls us, and we see this. He begins, he's after you have suffered a little while. After you've suffered for a little while. Now he's not just saying after you've suffered for a few minutes or a few months. But he's saying a little while in the sense that this life uh, is brief. It's a vapor, as we, we learn both in Ecclesiastes and James as we study through those. And ultimately, that suffering that we walk through, it's brief in comparison to eternity. 
So he said, for a little while, the God of all grace. He's the God of all grace. He is the one who's the origin and the source of all grace. As we've learned in, in 1 Peter, I think in 1 Peter 1, 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, being sober-minded. That's the sober-minded that we talked about. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We set our hope fully on the grace. We've experienced God's grace now, and that completion's the return of Christ. I think of James again, chapter 4. It's that parallel passage. In 4, verse 6, he says, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. He's, he calls us, um, and he gives salvation. He rescues us. But there's a, uh, a contrast here. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal Glory in Christ. So it's the glory that we have that we get to take part in um, by some miracle entering into the glory of Christ. It's for eternity. So a little while suffering, but eternity is waiting. We need to be reminded of that. Suffering and then glory. Not in our timing. So then... um, he continues and it says to him, oh no, uh, I almost skipped to verse 11, but there's an important part we need. Well, him himself restore. He'll restore, he'll complete, he'll make perfect. Confirm, establish, set fast. Strengthen, revive, establish, render unwavering and firm. God will do these things. He's the rescuer. Let me read those again. He himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We have this great promise and this reminder in the midst of difficulty and suffering. And then verse 11. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He just breaks forth in praise. I can just see Peter riding and he just like (laughs) wells up in, in the reality of these truths. And he sings praise and sings doxology and praise as he gets to these, and he looks again to eternity and our God who, who is over all, again, suffering and glory, death but resurrection, pain yet comfort from the good shepherd who is gentle and lowly in heart, in whom we can find rest and hope. And just as our theme has been that we have uh, this hope, this joyful, eternal, Christ focused hope during suffering. And then uh, there's just some closing words from, from Peter. And I, it probably, probably is enough there to do a whole other sermon, and, but I won't do that. I know I could probably keep you because we're going to feed you, so I, could, won't, I don't feel bad, you know. You just wait and eat some pizza later. Um, we'll, we'll walk through just these closing um, words of hope by Peter. By Sylvanus, a brother, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written Briefly to you. So he talks about this brother. Um, and some believe that maybe, maybe he was uh, helped Peter write like the secretary that wrote down. But this word by Sylvanus is more likely saying the one who, who is the carrier of the letter. That through him I brought this letter has been brought to you. Um, so he brings this letter. And we see the purpose of... This letter I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm 
in it. So he just reminds them again, just the purpose. He pointed them to the true grace of God found in Jesus Christ that's rock solid and to stand firm in it. He reminds them of these things. And then verse 13, she who is at Babylon. And you're like looking at that. What is he saying? He was in Babylon. Well, Babylon uh, was often used to refer to Rome. At this time, there was, Babylon had fallen. There wasn't a Babylon. It, often Rome was referred to as Babylon. And who's this she? Um, well, most likely she, that Peter's referring to the church in Rome. So the church in Rome sends greetings. Uh, so you can wrestle with that more and you can disagree with that. That's kind of a, a hard one. But. And then it said, who, who is likewise chosen sends, your gre- sends you greeting, as does Mark. This is most likely John Mark. Um, the one who followed with Peter, the one who um, historically we understand is the Gospel of Mark, being written by John Mark, and he sends greeting as well. And then then he says, greet one another with a kiss of love. So clearly they were not Baptists. So <laughs> they're then going through COVID, and we look at that kiss of love. What's going on there? But um, if we, this morning, if we were worshiping in Latin America, if we were in Peru or in Ecuador, we would be like, yeah. Yeah, that's what we do um, during the greeting times in those countries. You, well, just normally, but you, you know how we have our meet and our greet time. You would you'd kiss the, the cheek of those who you are greeting as well. So it's, it's not um, a controversial statement, <laughs> a statement of greeting one another in love. And then peace to all of you who are in Christ. He just ends in this reminder of peace. Peace. We have a God who cares, one who we can humble ourselves under his mighty hand, and he will, in his due and proper time, he will lift us up. And we're called to cast our cares upon him, our anxiety upon him, because he cares for us. So this morning, my question first is, do you know the, the God of peace? Do you know the peace of Jesus Christ, the one who came, who lived a life perfect without sin, fully God and fully man, and died on a cross for us and taking upon himself our judgment and our shame, was buried and then rose again victorious over death and sin and Satan. Have you trusted in him as your Lord and Savior? Turn from yourself and your sin and, and the escapes of this world and rested in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you have him this morning, I encourage you to do so, to trust in him your Lord and Savior. And if you do that, I encourage you to come talk with one of us, one of us or grab one of those cards and just mark on there that you want to know more about following Jesus Christ. And we'll talk with you. And then brothers and sisters in Christ, may we be reminded and, and marinate this week in these words and not in fleeting things that we might be reminded of who our God is and the grace that he extends to us. That we have hope in him in eternity and be reminded that our suffering can feel so weighty and heavy, but it's for a little while. Eternity is coming. Let's pray. Your Father, God, thank you. We thank you for words that, that we need uh, that bring life and bring truth. Lord, be alert, watching, and ready. Always looking, always being for the attack of the enemy, preaching the gospel to ourselves and to our heart and speaking truth to we be those would help us to understand
and wrestle through this idea, idea of suffering, the death of Christ, but then the resurrection that in you, we pray this morning. I pray even if there are any that have yet to turn and trust in Christ, that, even, that, you, that, they, that those who haven't would turn and believe, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.